Go ahead and open your Bibles to Isaiah 55. We'll spend most of our time in Isaiah 55 this morning. Um, I understand it's customary here, as it is uh, in many churches, um, that at the end of a lesson or a talk, um, the, the speaker offers uh, an opportunity um, for people who are listening who want to um, you know, commit their lives to Jesus uh, or who need help or encouragement um, in their, their walk with God. Uh, they'll, they'll have an opportunity to do that, um, and the, the speaker will invite um, anyone who wants to do that to, uh, to make that known to the congregation. In Isaiah, that's essentially what we have going on. Um, the first half of the book of Isaiah, uh, the first 39 chapters, mostly deal with uh, the Israelites and their relationship with God, um, and it's mostly focused on trying to get them to turn back to God, to repent of the, the things that they were doing that's wrong. Um, and then once we get to chapter 40, kind of the rest of Isaiah is more focused on um, God's restoration of the people, trying to uh, make promises to the people, encouraging them uh, to, to come back, and showing them um, what it will be like if they, they turn to God. And Isaiah 55, Isaiah offers his invitation, his opportunity for the people uh, to, to turn back, to, to come to God. So we'll start reading um, in Isaiah 55 in verse 1. Isaiah says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Isaiah invites the people to come uh, satisfy their hunger, satisfy their thirst. Now, hunger and thirst are often uh, used to describe kind of spiritual needs in the Bible, um, and that's very fitting kind of metaphor. Um, just think about hunger and thirst for a second. Have you ever had a meal um, that you, know, you just ate so much food you decided you were not going to be hungry ever again? Uh, you know, that's not the way it works. No matter how full we get, uh, we get to a point where, you know, we need to eat more. That hunger is something that never really goes away. And in that way, hunger and thirst is kind of a reminder of a need that we have that nothing on earth can completely take away. Nothing here can completely satisfy. Uh, and that's just like our spiritual needs, our spiritual hunger and thirst. Uh, nothing on this earth can completely satisfy um, a, a longing we have for a relationship with God. But here God offers the solution, uh, offers a permanent fix to, to that hunger, to that need. And he invites his people to come take of it, even people who have nothing to offer. He says, come to the waters and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Uh, even people who have nothing to offer God can take advantage of this opportunity. And God offers a solution uh, that goes above and beyond kind of the most basic um, way that he could satisfy this need. You know, if you're thirsty, the most basic kind of um, satisfaction for that thirst, you can get some water. Uh, but God offers more than just water. He offers wine and milk. Uh, God offers to satisfy, to fulfill our needs um, in abundant, luxurious ways, not just with the bare minimum, 
um, but with milk and wine, this kind of picture of luxury and excess. Uh, God can take care of that. But we see in verse 2, uh, he asks, Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Uh, we all have needs. We all have um, the, this kind of uh, need for a relationship with God, uh, this hunger and thirst. But often we seek to satisfy that need uh, in ways that are never really able to, to satisfy it. Um, we spend our money for that which isn't bread. We labor for that which does not satisfy. Everyone is seeking that fulfillment. Uh, some people seek it in work, uh, giving themselves to, completely to their work. Some people seek it uh, in different religions or philosophies um, or even scientific research and empiricism. Um, some people seek it in distractions uh, like entertainment or recreation or alcohol. Uh, you know, we seek fulfillment in all sorts of different ways, uh, but the only thing that can satisfy is the, the water, the wine, the milk uh, that God offers in Isaiah 55. Um, you know, spending our time and our energy seeking fulfillment in those other things, um, it's like trying to satisfy hunger with things uh, that are not food. Um, we try to be pretty careful with our spending, uh, and one of the ways that I try to do that is by not packing a lot of food for lunch. Um, I typically you know, try to stick to a one turkey sandwich, uh, and that kind of has to hold me till supper. Um, and some days, that sandwich is not quite enough to get me through to the end of the day without getting pretty hungry. Um, one time a couple weeks ago, uh, I had a patient bring in a, uh, a jar full of like little cookies. Um, and when I got to, to feeling pretty hungry towards the end of the day, uh, I started munching on those cookies just to you know, put something into my stomach so I wouldn't feel hungry. Um, and you know, it, it raised my blood sugar, so the hunger wasn't quite as severe, but instead it made me kind of sick feeling. And you know, there was no nourishment in those cookies. It was not really food. Um, it just kind of distracted me for a little while. And I was never going to find you know, fulfillment. I was never going to fill my stomach um, satisfactorily with those cookies because um, they're not food. And that's what uh, it's like when we spend our time and our energy seeking for fulfillment uh, outside of God. Um, you know, it, it might um, kind of satisfy us briefly, um, but it's still pretty empty. There's not nourishment there, um, and it can leave us sick, uh, like, like the cookies left me. Um, and yet, uh, God offers to fulfill that need freely and abundantly. But how do the hungry and thirsty receive that gift? Uh, God has offered it in Isaiah 55. You know, if you don't have money, uh, you can still come take advantage of it. But how uh, do, you, do you receive it? Let's keep reading in verse 2. God says, Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. So he says in three different uh, ways, essentially, Listen diligently, incline your ear, and hear. We quench our spiritual thirst um, by inclining our ear to the Word of God. Listen diligently and eat what is good. Uh, just as our bodies can only live by drinking water, 
So only by hearing God's words can our soul live. Uh, you know, it's not um, a, a religious experience. Uh, it's not anything else but the word of God. We have to listen if we want that life. And when we listen and accept God's generosity, he establishes a relationship with us. Keep reading in verse 3. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. God establishes a relationship with us based on his promise way back to David in 2 Samuel 7, that one day one of his descendants, the Christ, would sit on his throne forever. And so uh, he promises a relationship with us and says in verse 4, Behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that did not know you shall run to you, because of the Lord your God, and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. So this relationship, this fulfillment, uh, is not just for the audience of Isaiah. It's not just for the physical descendants of Abraham. It's for nations and peoples who had previously not known God. Uh, people who had never heard of God or of Israel before, um, they would be invited to partake uh, of this promise. Uh, you don't have to be a physical descendant of Abraham to receive God's blessing. And you don't even have to be from a Western sort of culture to find spiritual satisfaction in Jesus. Uh, I think sometimes we have this idea that Christianity is kind of a Western thing, and it's not for other people. It's, you know, it's not for um, people from other types of cultures. Uh, and you don't have to be from a Christian family or background to obtain God's promises in Christianity. Uh, you know, a nation that didn't know God, didn't know Israel, um, can still partake of the, the food, uh, the drink that God is offering. This blessing is for everyone who listens diligently and, in verse 6, who seeks God. Isaiah continues in verse 6, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the righteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, that he may have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. In verse 6, this food and drink that God offers in order to satisfy our needs cannot be bought, but we do have to seek out the Lord if we're going to receive it. And he says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Uh, that means there's going to be a time when we won't have that offer standing anymore. We won't be able um, to, to receive God's blessing. We won't be able to find him. Uh, but he's been made near now. This is similar to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7. Second uh, Corinthians 6. Um, and in 2 Corinthians 6, Paul actually quotes from earlier in Isaiah. He says in verse 1 and 2, Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, In a favorable time I have listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So, Paul says, now is the day of salvation. Now is the favorable time that Isaiah was speaking of. You know, while we still have breath, we have opportunity uh, to seek the Lord. 
um, but only while we have breath. After that, um, there is no seeking. There is no receiving uh, the fulfillment, the salvation that's offered here. And so in verse 7, he encourages the listeners, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. To seek the Lord and to receive the compassion that he offers, we have to forsake our unrighteous ways and our unrighteous thoughts. When we get to verse 8 and 9, my ways are not your, or my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Uh, sometimes I think we have a tendency to look at that passage and use it to say, uh, you know, if we don't understand something about Scripture, or if we don't understand something about what God said or what, why he's doing something a certain way, well, that's just because God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and God's ways are higher than our ways. Uh, and that's certainly true. Uh, you know, God has plans that we can't understand and can't comprehend because he sees more than we see, knows more than we know, and his plans are better than ours. But that's not the point here in verses 8 and 9. He says, Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And then he says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So there's a contrast between our wicked ways and our wicked thoughts and God's higher ways and God's higher thoughts. And we have to leave behind our wicked ways and thoughts in order to attain God's higher ways and thoughts. The point is not that we, we can't you know, receive God's thoughts. The point isn't that we can't walk in his way. The point is that we can. And we have to. We have to leave ours behind. Uh, in spite of our past wickedness, God gives us the opportunity to take a better path, a higher path than we would have been able to by ourselves. And this is kind of the gist of the Bible's message in general, that in spite of our mistakes, uh, we can exchange our wicked thoughts, our wicked attitudes, and our, our wicked paths for holy ones so that we can become more like God, so we can conform our thoughts to be more like his thoughts. And uh, that's kind of the, the point uh, that Paul makes in Romans 12, uh, that we shouldn't be conformed to the image of this world, but transformed by the renewal of our minds so that we can discern the will of God. You know, we have to go through a transformation, leaving behind the ways that we would have liked to take, um, and instead following the ways that God has outlined. I think we tend um, to want to do good and want to follow Scripture, uh, follow God's ways, um, mostly when we kind of already agree with it. Um, you know, I, I can get on board with, um, you know, we shouldn't lie. Um, I can get on board with, um, you know, we need, we need to give to people who are needy. Like, those are kinds of ideas that I probably would have had even if I never read the Bible because that just seems right, right? Um, but then when it comes to other things that are a little bit harder or things that we might not necessarily agree with, like, uh, like honoring the king, you know, uh, I, I don't really see the point in that. That's a little bit harder. Um, 
you know, some some leaders are just not that honorable. So, you know, I'll, I'll do the, the not lying and I'll do, um, you know, the, the giving to the needy. But, you know, um, I'll honor the king if it's a good guy. Um, but that's not really forsaking my ways and forsaking my thoughts. Um, if I'm only following God's word when I already would have agreed with it anyway, then I'm really just following my own ways. And God and I happen to agree on a couple points. Um, when we follow God's word only when it sounds good to us, we're really following us, not God. And the call of Isaiah and the call of the gospel is to strive to follow something higher than ourselves, um, to change our thoughts, to think like someone higher than ourselves, and in so doing to become more pure and holy than we would have been otherwise, just using ourselves as a guide. Uh, we have to forsake our ways and our thoughts and follow God's. And when we do that, God promises to satisfy that thirst, that need, pardon our wicked pasts, and bring us eternal blessings. Let's keep reading, starting in verse 10. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy, and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come forth the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the, the myrtle, and it shall, be, it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. So here God compares his words uh, to the rain. You never see the rain uh, kind of come halfway down to the ground and then stop and go back up. Uh, you know, the rain does one thing. It falls to the ground uh, consistently. And when it reaches the ground, uh, it provides vegetation. It waters plants. Um, that's the way it works every time. And just as surely as the rain comes down and produces that sort of fruit, so is God's word. Uh, it goes out and it accomplishes its purpose. It never turns back. It never uh, changes its course. And so we can trust these promises. We can trust that God's going to fulfill our needs. We can trust uh, that God is going to forgive our trespasses and make it so that we can walk in his ways uh, because his word is unchanging. And his word for spiritual nourishment and pardon in a higher, holier way will accomplish also the purpose or the, the promise of verses 12 and 13. You shall go out in joy, be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorns shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle, and it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. And these two verses, I think, are a little bit harder than the rest of this passage, um, the, these kinds of blessings. But it might be helpful to look back at Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, after man sins against God the first time, and God is listing the consequences of that sin, uh, in verse 17, it says, And to Adam he said, 
because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, sh you shall not eat. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. And so in Genesis 3, part of the consequence of man's sin was that thorns and briars were going to come out of the ground, and it was going to be harder to produce vegetation. Uh, Isaiah, in Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 5, um, invokes this image when he's warning the children of Israel um, to, to turn back for the, to the Lord. One of the consequences, if they didn't, uh, it says in verse 6, I will make it a waste, it shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up, and I will also command the clouds concerning it, that they rain no rain upon it. So briars and thorns and thistles are part of the consequence of sin. But in Isaiah 55, God says he's going to reverse that. In verse 13, instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress, instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. So in addition to the nourishment, the forgiveness, uh, the pardon, the, the holier way, God promises to reverse the, the curse of sin, the consequences of sin. God can take even the most wicked, even the most damaged by sin, and turn that person uh, into a blessing. And he can take uh, you know, the parts of our lives um, and our past that you know, are thorns and briars that, that were sins and still make them into something good. Instead of the thorn, uh, he promises the cypress. Instead of the briar, he promises the myrtle. Uh, he can transform the consequences of sin into blessings. And so to kind of summarize um, Isaiah's uh, invitation here in Isaiah 55, God invites all people who thirst and who hunger to receive free, abundant fulfillment for their needs. And we receive this blessing in a personal relationship with God when we listen diligently to his word, seek the Lord while he's near, and forsake our unrighteous ways. And when we do that, uh, we make God's ways our ways, and we make God's thoughts our thoughts. And as surely as the rain falls to the ground, God's promise of reversing the curse of sin will come to fruition. I think uh, Jesus is probably thinking about this passage in John 6. Go ahead and turn to John 6. This passage, among others, when he's teaching the Israelites about who he is and what he has to offer. In John 6.35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And then flip over to John 7, in verse 37. Uh, this is still kind of in that same context. On the first day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So just as Isaiah said, come, just as God through Isaiah invited the children of Israel to come and eat and drink, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger and never thirst. And he invites his audience uh, to, to come as well. And the message is really the same as the message in Isaiah. Um, in, in John 6, uh, verse 63, just like Isaiah 
emphasized listening and heeding God's word. Uh, Jesus says, about halfway through the verse, these words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And Jesus also emphasized, uh, emphasizes making God's ways our ways and God's thoughts our thoughts. Um, look back at verse 53. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread that fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever." Now, Jesus is talking about uh, eating his flesh and drinking his blood, uh, and clearly he's not talking about uh, literally eating his body. Um, and I don't think, uh, as often we're kind of tempted to identify this um, with the Lord's Supper um, and eating the, the bread and drinking the fruit of the vine, I don't think that's Jesus' point, because that wouldn't make much sense to his audience here in John 6. I think the point is uh, in verse 56, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Um, Jesus is saying, you know, I want you to live in me, and I want to live in you. I want uh, you to take me into your life. Make me a part of you. Um, you know, consume my flesh, my blood. Uh, make me a part of, uh, you know, your thoughts, your actions. Uh, essentially forsake your ways and thoughts and take on his way and thoughts. Uh, I think that's the, the gist of what Jesus is trying to get across in John 6. Uh, and so Isaiah invited his audience to come, uh, to listen to God, to, to make his ways our ways. And Jesus invited his audience to come. We see at the very end of the Bible, in Revelation 22, we have the same invitation. In Revelation 22, after we see the depiction of the heavenly Jerusalem, the new heaven, the new earth, and we see the throne, um, and we see the church as a bride prepared for the marriage uh, to the Lamb, uh, we read at the very end in verse 17, Revelation 22, 17, The Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come, and let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who desires take of the water of life without price. Just like God promised back in Isaiah, the thirsty one can come without price uh, and enjoy the, the living water, and never thirst again. God has always sought uh, to quench our spiritual thirst, to fulfill our needs. And he offers to fulfill those needs and forgive our wrongs if we come. The promise still stands today if we listen diligently to his word, if we seek the Lord while he may be found, and if we exchange our ways for God's ways, if we relinquish uh, you know, our, our kind of wants and desires um, and instead choose to follow God's, choose to follow a way that's higher than us, uh, then we can also partake of this water of life uh, without price, with nothing, nothing in us uh, to, to offer to God in return. 
I think we all find at different points in our lives uh, that we've been spending money for that which is not bread and laboring for that which does not satisfy. Uh, you know, in some way or another, um, we seek to find fulfillment and satisfaction apart from God. Um, and to some extent, you know, we find distractions and we find things that are good and beneficial, um, but nothing is truly satisfying unless God is a part of it, uh, unless we seek it in God. Uh, and today I want to encourage you to spend that time and energy, um, as it says, spending money for that which is not bread and labor for that which does not satisfy. Spend that money, spend that labor um, seeking the Lord while he may be found. Um, spend it trying to make his ways your ways and trying to make your thoughts his thoughts. Um, we, like Isaiah, like Jesus, and like the Spirit in Revelation, um, offer you know, an invitation to come to the Lord and to do that. Um, you know, whether you want to do that uh, after we close today in private or whether you want to do that um, more publicly now um, while we sing a song, I encourage you, um, you know, make your life, uh, make your way God's ways. Uh, and you can make your desire to follow God uh, be known now um, by being baptized or by seeking repentance or if you just need encouragement um, to follow God's ways better, um, to make your thoughts more like His, we encourage you to do that now uh, while we stand and sing um, number 640. So the first and third verses of 640.